This is episode 159 with strength and conditioning coach, massage therapist, international lecturer, and host of the Run Chat Live podcast, Mr. Matt Phillips. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm your host and the head coach of Strength Running, our community of endurance runners who are passionate about improving and reaching their potential. My goal with Strength Running is to give you the training ideas, strategies, and resources to accomplish all of your big goals, from running your first race ever to completing every world marathon major, preventing your next injury, or becoming a stronger, more coordinated athlete. I'll be bringing you the leaders in the fitness world, the coaches, psychologists, thought leaders, elite athletes, and other experts to give you new insights into the sport of endurance running. I always want you to better understand the sport, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, and to always have the tools to take your running to the next level. Because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Now, don't miss our other 158 episodes of the podcast. We have a video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning or our home base, strengthrunning.com. This is where you can find all of our training programs, past episodes of the podcast, our award-winning blog, and more resources to help you level up your running. Okay, this episode is supported by our sponsor, Elemental Labs. They make electrolytes for athletes, and their products actually have some of the highest sodium concentrations that you can find. And anybody who runs a lot knows that sodium, as well as all the other electrolytes like magnesium and potassium, are essential to our performance and also to how we feel throughout the day. So if you're low on sodium, symptoms might include headaches, low energy, muscle cramps, and even insomnia. So if you're like me and have salty sweat, or you just need an excuse to drink more throughout the day, do check them out. My personal favorite flavor is the citrus salt. I think you're going to love it. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to see what they have to offer. Okay, our guest today is none other than fellow podcast host Matt Phillips. Matt is the host of Run Chat Live and puts on the annual Run Chat Live conference in England. His background is as a running injury and performance specialist, and originally, he was a strength and conditioning coach with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, but then he turned his attention to sports therapy in 2004, working particularly with distance runners and endurance athletes, and I love that his expertise in these areas is focused on runners. He's also a lecturer in anatomy and physiology and writes for numerous media outlets. What I love about Matt is that he doesn't pretend to have all the answers. He has a very scientific mind that helps him focus on the signal rather than the noise. That's an important skill for the topic that we're discussing today, massage therapy. Because there's a lot of voodoo and wishful thinking and misconceptions out there about massage. So now we have the pleasure of having a massage therapist on the show who's clear that it's not a panacea and doesn't actually do what a lot of us think it does. Matt and I are going to talk about the benefits of massage, how to do it for maximum relief, mistakes to avoid, and the surprising recovery properties of massage. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Matt Phillips. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks for having me back. It's always a good sign. 
Yeah, well, you're one of the few repeat guests and one that I'm always excited to chat with. I think last time that we talked, we discussed running technique and gait retraining and so many other different aspects of running form. So um, definitely uh, head back for our listeners to episode 102 to find that discussion. But now today we are talking about uh, injury prevention, rehabilitation, and even performance enhancement all through the prism of massage therapy. So thanks for coming back on, Matt, and lending your expertise. I think this is going to be great. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. So I like to usually start these conversations when we're doing a, a deep dive onto one topic with some pretty general stuff. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. We all have the same definitions. So maybe can you define massage therapy for us? And I'm asking this seemingly ridiculous question because <laughs> I want to know, number one, a formal definition, if that is different from the layman's definition. And number two, what activities you might consider to actually be included in that umbrella term of massage therapy? It's an excellent question and a really good intro to what we're going to be talking about. So essentially, traditional massage is Swedish massage. That's where it all comes from. And to define that basically, in layman's terms, it's just lubricated kneading of muscle. That's all it is. Anything which is then described as more advanced massage is a derivative of just that. Um, and to tell you the truth, as soon as you come away from just lubricated kneading of muscle, it loses any form of evidence. Um, and there's certainly no proof at all that any different form of massage other than Swedish massage actually has other, any other effect on the body physiologically. Um, so it's a very good question. And I think some of the poor success of massage and the reliance of massage is because there has been this whole string of different types of massage, especially with regards to runners, the attraction of a deep tissue massage or a sports massage, as if these treatments have got other special techniques which will help break down scar tissue or will help do things which traditional massage doesn't do. And often these advanced techniques are kind of driven by what we call structuralism. So it's driven by this desire to fix imbalances and to change some kind of asymmetry in the body, which we regard as a cause of pain or some other biomechanical fault, which we are going to basically treat the human body like a puppet. And we're going to put you back into shape so you can run better. So you're not going to get injured, etc. And that's where the problems can start. So it sounds like massage is, is, is actually quite simple and we've made it maybe overly complex, especially in the last maybe 10 or 20 years when so many recreational athletes are getting massages and the recovery industry is, you know, coming up with a new massage tool seems like every other week. Um, so it, uh, am I right there? Is massage pretty simple and, and all of the other more complex or advanced forms of it are just, like you said, derivatives? The effects of massage, we really don't understand yet how. We know there are studies which show that definitely uh, massage can have effect, particularly on reducing anxiety, reducing depression. There's good qualitative um, studies on that. To a certain extent, I mean, lower back pain is always what they use uh, to test these modalities. It's a bit backwards and forwards with that. But what we do know is massage can have a fantastic effect on the nervous system. And we know that the state of the nervous system more than likely is one of the lead factors when it regards to the output of pain, the output of fatigue, um, all of these things which the nervous system uses to hold us back potentially. 
and when it's got a perceived kind of level of danger or something. So although we have kind of gone down a path of giving massage attributes, which in a lot of cases physiologically are just impossible, that's not in any by any means at all dismissing the benefits of massage. It just means we need to redirect why we're having massage, the way we expect to receive massage as runners. And we can talk about that in a bit. Um, I'm still, I mean, my interest in this is because my background after strength and conditioning initially, which was my background with the National Academy of Sports Medicine in like 2000, I went into massage because I loved receiving it myself. I wanted to study it and, and give it to people as well. And I went through the sports therapy. So I'm a massive proponent of massage. I still give massage. So there's, I'm definitely still in favor of massage, but it's a very exciting time here, particularly in the UK, because when you unstrip what massage doesn't do we don't know what it does do but we're pretty good at, at being less wrong now in terms of giving massage so that suddenly puts us back into being a reputable healthcare provider because now in the uk evidence-based massage therapists are being accepted more by physiotherapists we're working together with more mainstream health providers because they can now take us a little bit more serious really they're, they're not putting us into the same category as like kind of backstreet massage parlors which is what we've always been kind of traditionally put into um yeah so the, as always which is what like my brand is always about as soon as you start putting evidence to something it becomes more worthwhile if we know how something works we can make it work better and as a runner myself and someone who looks after runner i'm still very excited at what massage could do i'm just also very aware of what massage doesn't do and I'm keen to let runners know you're wasting a bit of time here and you could be doing something a lot better. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's talk about what massage does and what it doesn't do. Because I think it's exciting that we now know a little bit more about what massage doesn't do. So like you said, we can be less wrong. I really like that phrase. So what what doesn't it do and what do we know it actually does? So I've always got to be careful with this. Whether I'm talking to therapists or runners, I'm probably going to say some things I like to pre-warn listeners. Let's imagine most of the listeners to here are going to be runners. If I now tell you that something which your massage therapist has told you they're doing and you've been paying for for maybe the last five years is probably not happening, you're either going to switch off this podcast or just never say my name again. You're going to get angry and you're probably just going to, the wall's going to go up. Um, this is a problem for runners who have put their faith in other therapists and also for therapists who have been basing their career on on things which probably aren't happening underneath their hands so the first thing i've got to say is all we're saying is to the runner who's feeling better and getting better recovery and everything's going great thanks to the massage that's still happening we don't have to take that away i'm not saying stop getting massage if it's working for you and the same thing goes to the therapist if there's any therapists listening i'm not saying i'm not spitting on your career or anything because it's what i do myself i'm just saying that if I start going into what massage probably doesn't do, it just means that we can start making it work better. We can stop going down roads of like causing extreme pain with our elbows because we believe that it's breaking down, for example, scar tissue. And I can start with it. And now I put that disclaimer in. Um, hopefully people will listen to me and not just switch off because it can be annoying to hear somebody busting another myth or something. So the one that grabs me, first of all, and I've already kind of mentioned is this idea that we can break down scar tissue. And that's often the, the explanation that's given to many runners, um, the reason why you're experiencing this pain in your hamstring or the reason why you're not 
uh, your performance is lacking or you're plateauing is because we turn you over, we have a feel up the back of your legs and we feel under our hands something which we call scar tissue, a little knot or nodule or something. It may be painful under our fingers when we push into it. It may not be. But we therefore decipher this as, OK, we need to undo this and I can do that with my hands and my elbow. And that's what we're going to work on in the next six weeks. We say things like it's going to hurt a bit because I'm breaking down tissues. You've got to put up with that. It might hurt a bit the next morning, be sore. Um, but this is what we're doing. Now, the problem with this, first of all, physiologically, I mean, if you said to a surgeon, I can break down scar tissue with my elbow or my fingers, then they'd probably laugh at you because surgeons use scalpels for that. OK, and it's kind of a, a pretty easy way of saying you can't break down human tissue with your hands. Um, and, and it's pretty good that we can't do that because otherwise it would give us the impression that the human body is very, very weak. If another human body can do that to someone else, there'd be a whole new wave of different types of crime happening. So the idea that we can break down scar tissue again is part of this idea that I'm going to rebuild you through pressure um, with the skill of my hands. and We're going to we're going to make you move in a different way. No, no, not at all. Um, we now know or we science points towards the idea that any change I have on range of movement in your joints um, in the kind of elasticity of a muscle is probably because I'm affecting your nervous system by this contact I'm having with your skin and your muscles rather than actually changing the structure in your leg because physiologically the latter I just can't do the body doesn't work like that so once we know that that changes quite a few things because one of the things that a lot of runners put up with with massage is pain and they believe this whole idea of no pain no gain because as runners we've been through that we confuse pain with kind of effort or stress we know that at the end of a race or like in the last five miles of a marathon or whatever it is that we have to kind of come over these voices in our body saying stop stop you're tired you can't do anymore and we push through that threshold but when it comes to an individual especially if you're already injured and the body's grumbling if you allow another individual to increase that threats to the nervous system by digging their elbows or fingers or a tool into a part of your body. Your nervous system, basically, when it screams out and outputs pain, is saying we're not happy about this. And often the case is if you if you annoy or irritate that nervous system more, it's just going to scream out louder. It may well stop briefly, which is what a lot of um, runners see by the end of the treatment. It doesn't hurt anymore. But that's that's a temporary thing because the nervous system is just saying, OK, you're not going to stop. I'm going to stop outputting this pain. But the amount of runners, when they stop and think about it, how long does that feeling of relief last? Often, by the time you sing the, the therapist praises and then you tell your friends, you put it on Facebook. But within a day or two, the problems come back. And a lot of runners will forget about this or they're told by the therapist, you know, this isn't going to work straight away. It might take a few weeks and you need to come back. And then we enter the whole problem. And one of the reasons why this type of therapy has perpetuated is if you go and see this therapist for the same type of massage treatment, a deep tissue massage, a sports massage for six weeks, and then finally your pain goes. You can't jump to the conclusion that that pain has gone because of these massage treatments. Looking at the science and modern pain science, that treatment has probably reduced your recovery. What's happened is within six weeks, tissues heal anyway. Um, you've probably reduced your running. You've probably been sleeping better. You've probably uh, maybe you're less stressed out because you're seeing a professional. So when it comes to me looking after runners, one of the biggest things about massage that I try and, and, and educate people with is 
no treatment should involve annoying your nervous system even more than it is. If you want to reduce pain, you've got to reduce the threat, particularly in the beginning of acute part of um, injuries. So the idea of allowing a human being to pummel the hell out of you and make things worse is, if anything, it's probably slowing down recovery. The whole idea of overstressing the nervous system is really interesting to me because I think when, you know, you're sitting there, you're getting a massage and you're experiencing pain, a lot of runners aren't thinking that, oh, my nervous system is like firing on all cylinders right now. We're instead thinking, oh, there's just a lot of pressure on my muscle. So can we talk a little bit more about that nervous system response and, you know, what exactly is happening and, you know, are there any consequences to, you know, uh, stimulating your nervous system too aggressively like that? Definitely. I mean, it's a really interesting point. And this is why, I mean, as therapists, we have to work with the individual and, and some individuals really don't want to know about pain or how it works, or whether it comes out of your hamstring or whether it's coming out of your brain. But for runners who are taking things seriously, and they're starting to uh, see their performance kind of get worse or they're not overcoming an injury and they seek you for help. They're seeing a few other therapists somewhere down the line. It can often help having a little education and discussion about what pain is. And if we move away from this structuralism, we know the pain kind of comes out. Let's stick with the hamstring. We know the pain is coming out from your hamstring or the fact you can't sit down because you've got like a proximal hamstring tendinopathy or something. You touch it, you squeeze it, you push it. It's underneath your backside. And that's where it feels like the pain's coming out from, coming from. But basic pain science tells us that it's not coming from your backside at all. Pain can only be output from the nervous system, from the brain. Basically, messages will be fed back to the brain from receptors in your skin. So if you're sitting down on a, on a piece of tissue um, and uh, the brain receives messages saying there's compression going on on this tendon, the brain will then take that into consideration with a lot of other considerations as well. Maybe something you've read, uh, maybe something that someone's told you, maybe if you've had this injury before and there's a memory there and the pain will decide, OK, this is a problem. I am now actually um, feeling a bit threatened. I'm going to try and stop this from happening. Bam, and it sends out pain. And it's useful for runners to understand that pain is actually a defense. It's not a defect. When you feel pain, it's not your body. It's not something to fight. It's something which is basically letting you know that your nervous system is not happy. And if you try and fight it, then it's not going to suddenly give up. You can't have a war with your nervous system. So the problem with runners is we, like I say, we, we, we confuse that with stress and effort. Uh, we confuse that with, with the determination you need to get through a particular training session. But when, particularly when you're injured, if you're feeling pain coming out, it means we've got to remember that at the end of every single issue in the body, there's a, an emotional, rationalizing brain, which is why you can't fight pain with pain in an injury. You can't do it. Um, and then the other subject is whether actually enduring a, a, a grueling massage could actually help performance. But I'll take that out of the equation for the moment because that's kind of something else. But most runners, I try and remind that if you're in pain, if something's not giving up, then you can't just consider a structural problem in the back of your hamstring. There's other factors. This is why from the research, we know that other things like Lack of sleep is hugely supported by evidence in terms of failing to recover. You could be receiving all of the massage you like in the world and all of the fancy manual therapy. But the evidence shows that even less than eight hours a, um, a night of sleep can um, increase the likelihood of your, your body sending out pain and being disgruntled. 
Um, as soon as you drop below eight, then the chances of recovery become reduced, um, which is a fascinating factor. And unfortunately, in this busy world we live in, with runners trying to follow stringently training plans whilst juggling with kids, juggling with busy jobs, um, how many runners out there are actually getting successful eight hours nights of sleep? I don't know. I know as soon as you get kids, it's very unlikely, which I'm sure you can agree with as well. Yeah, exactly. Eight hours is certainly a luxury. And, you know, I think a lot of runners, you know, even myself included, we're always looking for an edge. And when we're looking for an edge in our training, we often look for new things. We look for, you know, new developments, innovations in, you know, a recovery tool or some new protein supplement or something like that. When often the most helpful thing that we can do is just get back to basics and make sure the fundamentals are covered, things like sleep. So, yeah, I'm glad that we are, are kind of bringing this back to fundamentals a little bit um, because <laughs> they're the fundamentals for a reason. Now, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about um, mistakes with massage because it, it sounds like what I'm hearing, Matt, is that massaging yourself or getting a massage to the point where you're in pain, especially if you're nursing an injury, if you're trying to rehab some sort of you know, repetitive stress injury that you might have, then that's a really bad idea. You're just overstressing the nervous system uh, and you're not doing much for recovery. Um, is, is there any other big mistakes that runners make with either uh, going out and getting a massage or doing self-massage at home? Yeah, again, it boils down, to, a lot of it boils down to pressure and just thinking no pain, no gain um, when it comes to massage. The amount of runners who are foam rolling themselves and and literally I get runners saying to me, I'm doing this. I mean, it's making me cry, Matt, but I know that I need to do this in order to get through this ITV syndrome or something. And I'm like, well, no, not at all. In fact, you're probably winding your body up even more. So people can abuse themselves and they do abuse themselves and put them through loads of torture with a foam roller, which again is unnecessary and probably having the reverse effect than what they want. I mean, another reason people might go over the top is they believe, I mean, the, the lactic acid is another myth that doesn't seem to go away. Um, the idea that another benefit of massage is it helps flush out lactic acid um, and the idea that it's lactic acid, which is causing the, that, that pain or that soreness or the DOMS. Again, it's a bit of education, which is why the evidence shows that the job of therapists, there's a fantastic paper, which basically concludes that one of the biggest jobs of therapists out there is to educate um, um, clients rather than with magic hands solve something. Because there's an awful lot of myths out there that have been perpetuated, particularly by the Internet and social media. And lactic acid is one of these other ones. Um, we know conclusively from from science now that lactic acid is not the cause of muscle pain lactic acid is actually an energy source we need it and once you stop running it gets removed from the system efficiently by itself it really can't be blamed for pain um, so the idea that massage is flushing out lactic acid or indeed any toxin at all is again a bit of a myth that's been perpetuated and a bit of an excuse which some therapists will use for being a bit heavy-handed um, which some runners will um, accept as a reason why they have to put up with uncomfort massage because toxins are getting sort of kind of flushed out. Um, the whole idea of toxins is very interesting as well. And, and I always kind of, again, I have to be careful because I don't want to create any argument. First, I don't want to make runners think that I am criticizing their therapists. But if a therapist is telling you that they're helping flush out your lactic acid or your toxins, you have to think to yourself, right, well, 
They're telling me something which people used to believe, but we've moved on since then. But if they still believe that means they're not keeping up to date with current science and thought, they're not evolving. How much else of what they're telling me is also old school and haven't evolved? Because um, therapists, like anything, they have to learn and move and evolve. And this is why, you know, part of One Chat Live and everything is helping therapists evolve without feeling challenged and without putting up that wall of anger. But as a runner, I mean, I look after runners, so I'm going to tell runners exactly what the score is. If a therapist is causing you pain, telling you they have to do this because they're breaking down scar tissue, if they're telling you they're flushing out toxins or you've got a massive buildup of lactic acid like an hour after a run or something, that therapist is not keeping up to date. And really, I apologize to any therapists who are listening and feeling a bit challenged, but I'm not having a go at you. I'm just saying that you need to educate yourselves because we do have a moral duty. When someone's putting their health and care into our hands, we have to keep up to date. We can't still keep treating runners the same way as we did 10 years ago because I was doing all this 10 years ago. I was very proud of how much I could cause a runner um, to scream out in pain. And I'd chuckle to myself and would make jokes about it. But unfortunately, we have to learn, we have to educate ourselves, we have to move on. And like I said in the beginning, if we know how something works, we can make it work better and evolve. Yeah, I'm always encouraged by any subject matter expert who evolves their thinking over time. And, you know, I know I certainly have very different views today on everything from massage to the foam rolling and static stretching and strength training than I did 10 or 20 years ago as a runner myself. So, you know, you got to be evolving your thinking because, you know, the science behind all of these decisions that we're making in our training is constantly being updated as well. So I I think it's really valuable uh, to change your approach when the science dictates that you should. Now, I do want to ask a little bit about um, one of the things that I've always thought massage did, which was to not necessarily flush out toxins. I feel like that's kind of a charged word, but, you know, exercise byproducts, things that happen when you're exercising that, you know, massage can help flush out just through, you know, uh, extra blood flow. I mean, you could potentially get the same benefit by going for an easy walk. I- am I totally off base with that? Is that another thing that needs to be evolved in my own thinking? It's another great question. And unfortunately, it's another kind of misconception, the idea that massage helps improve circulation. It's not um, substantiated at all, unfortunately. Um, it's perpetuated a little bit by the fact that things go red when we massage them. We see the skin getting redder, but that's not because we're increasing circulation at all. Circulation is increased by one thing. And like you've said, that's an increase in metabolism. Okay, so the only way to get your heart to beat more and to, to increase the amount of circulation is to raise metabolism. Lying down on a couch and having someone squeeze your muscles rhythmically, beautifully, comfortably isn't going to improve circulation. If you really want to improve circulation, this sounds like me being a little bit cynical and comedic, but you'd be better off just getting onto the couch, getting off the couch, get on the couch, get off the couch and do that 10 times. If that's your desire, (laughs) that will improve your circulation. But as for massage, you can't relax the body and increase circulation. It's kind of one or the other. So with that understood, that takes away any idea that we are actually increasing and flushing out anything or helping move anything around the body in terms physiologically speaking there is an argument that again if we go back to i want to reiterate that i do love massage and i teach massage and i recommend that an awful lot of runners 
depending on different circumstances, receive massage. What we don't know is whether relaxing the nervous system down, which we know that massage can do, it has some really significant, fantastic effects with people, like I say, with anxiety and depression. It, it creates a fantastic relaxation of the body. If a body's relaxed, then we know that things start working a little bit better. We know that when we're tense and stressed, our immune system is less and, and we start getting ill and, and just everything goes to pot. So the power of massage as a relaxant is huge. And that's really where all the studies and all the efforts, and all the how does massage work should be going. I would say that especially in these times, which these unparalleled times we're living in, the benefits from having that time out, that 45 minutes or an hour where you're lying down and having somebody who is skilled at providing that rhythm, that balance, that safety, that empathy. It's such an important mechanism of calming the body down. There may be knock on effects, which we haven't seen yet, of improving circulation, because if you're less nervous and less stressed, maybe that allows your body to work better and kind of restores homeostasis in various places to allow everything to click better. But what we can't do is believe straight away that physiologically we're opening up blood vessels, we're allowing things to flow, because, again, that brings us back to that structuralism idea, in which case, yeah, let's push a bit harder or let's push a bit less, or let's kind of try and change these tissues with our hands, or let's get new techniques of increasing it. All our techniques as therapists need to be guided towards either stimulating the nervous system maybe, or, or relaxing it down, hitting that parasympathetic or that sympathetic with various techniques, um, and also various contexts. The context of massage is so important as well. Once upon a time, we'd call it placebo, and we'd use that as an argument against certain treatments. But Placebo is a word we really shouldn't be using anymore because placebo is something which in medical trials we know doesn't have an effect. We know that taking this sugar pill, for example, is not going to have the same effect as this drug we're trialing. So we can't use placebo with these sort of treatments. We need to use the word context. We know that if you go and have a massage in a place which has got nice music or music that you like, I should say, because if you don't like well music and you try a massage with a sound going on, you're not, it's not really a very nice massage. But if you go somewhere where you're comfortable, where you're enjoying the treatment, the person you're having it from, the lighting, the mood, these are all part of massage. And this is something else that therapists need to take into account. It's not placebo. You're not conning the person lying down. You're actually increasing that very important context. And runners should embrace that. Runners shouldn't kind of think, oh, this is just namby-pamby stuff. Most people enjoy lying down somewhere where they feel really safe, comfortable with some music they love listening to. That's where we should be directing our efforts rather than looking at these myths like improve my circulation and, and these kind of structuralism ideas. Well, Matt, I had a very interesting conversation with Christy Ashwanden. She's written a great book called Good to Go. It's all about recovery. And she really dove into the science to talk, uh, really do research on what actually works and what doesn't work. And in our discussion, which I think was episode 84 of the podcast here, uh, she talked about the value of a relaxation ritual, just a way for you to kick back, open a book, you know, maybe even pour a glass of wine or something like that, and just have that downtime where you are not stressed in any way. And I think, uh, massage is a great opportunity for that. And, you know, I think as runners, we're always, we want to be doing something, you know, we want to be digging into a muscle or lifting a weight or going for a run. We don't necessarily want to just be laying on our couch, 
you know, relaxing or laying down on a table, getting, you know, very relaxing strokes on our muscles. It just doesn't seem like we're doing much, but the act of relaxing can be really helpful for recovery. And I think, you know, like you were saying earlier with, you know, the benefits of massage being reduced anxiety and depression and more relaxation, those benefits can really have some strong carryover into your running performances. Um, and so I know we've been talking a little bit about, you know, some of the the recovery benefits or, you know, the injury prevention benefits of massage here, but could we talk a little bit more about the performance benefits? You know, wh- why would a runner go get massage if they wanted to become a better runner, not necessarily to stay healthy? That's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, across the board of performance, it's very difficult to provide any evidence for what's helping us perform better because there's so many other factors. I mean, even injury prevention or reducing the risk of injury is difficult and it's kind of a never black and white. But when you come to performance, it's very tricky because, you know, um, carrying out studies and trials and making sure that all the factors are the same so you can actually say this has helped performance is, is, is tricky. But I think you've kind of nailed it on the head. We know that we're always trying to convince runners that it's normally the the, the session depends on the run I have to be careful what I say here you need consistency with running that's number one if you want to become a better runner you've got to run but once you've got that sorted out and you're one of the runners who actually is probably doing too much it's often that session which you are which you don't need the day off which is going to actually weigh be where you have that anabolic reaction where you're actually building up strength where your bones are recovering where you're becoming stronger um so for me the link between it's interesting what you said some people can probably get the effects of massage through just mindfulness, through having that time to switch off. But if you're one of these people who can't do that, and there's a lot of people who can't do that, which is why we've got such a massive industry now of kind of mindfulness and stuff. I struggle with that. Yeah, for, sure. I mean, it's, for a lot of people can't, especially if you're in this kind of profession where it's always blah, 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 blah. I'm Personally, I've got a mind that's always turning over way too much, way too much, way too much. And I'm discovering now at my age I used to love, I used to struggle going to sleep without listening to something. I just couldn't do it. I know there's other people who are very much the same. Some people just close their eyes. And I say to my wife, like, sometimes when you close your eyes, what do you see? And she'll say, well, nothing. I've got my eyes closed. And I'm like, I can't even imagine that. I close my eyes and I've got more going on than when I've got them open. I walk around and like a, I don't take in hardly anything because I'm thinking, daydreaming. When I close my eyes, that's when the brain starts ticking over and I've got all sorts of things happening on. So I used to go to sleep with a podcast playing. So I did most of my great listening. But I did a few, I've done a few tests with myself over the month. And I realize now, tragically for me, that I wake up in the morning far groggier, far less ready to crack on with the day, with a far lower self-esteem, desire to get up if I've gone to sleep listening to a podcast. Although I fall to sleep quicker, I can guarantee if I'm putting on a podcast, I'm excited. I'm thinking, oh, I'm listening to this. This is great. And I'm asleep within eight, nine minutes. But the morning after, when I try and wake up, I am groggy as hell. And for the last two weeks or so, I've really had to really just throw my earphones away and make sure that I don't. I do the opposite. I put earplugs in. I put a blindfold on so I'm not disturbed by the light. But you know what? I'm waking up in the mornings now with a spring in my step. I wouldn't go that far. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, but with a little bit more of a spring in my step <laughs> than I was when I was going to sleep, getting my brain active again, getting my brain thinking. So 
for people like myself who have got a brain ticking over to the extent they can't even go to sleep without listening to something happening, I think a massage is could be the saviour. And you've got to book it into your diary as if it was a business appointment, as if it was a running session. You've got to force yourself, find someone you get on with, someone you respect. In a lot of cases, it's another runner who happens to be a therapist as well because you feel happy in their presence. You know they're looking after you. And, and just force yourself. It might take a few sessions to actually lie down and disconnect and not feel self-observed, not feel you're wasting time. Because when you do manage to switch off and you allow that, hugely wonderful professional above to treat your body to those different strokes and the different rhythms and the different techniques and the build up and the release and the, and the bringing you up to maybe a seven out of 10 pain. And then the release that I believe can have some fantastic effects on just kickstarting your body into going into relaxed mode, which is when, like I say, you start getting stronger, you start building tolerance, you're reducing risk of injury, potentially if you're increasing your strength, um, and it's fast performance. There's got to be a good knock-on effect if you're recovering better. So, yeah, that's the way I see it. You know, I should add here, this is kind of a side note, but, you know, when I think back to my running career, all of the times when I was running really well, when I was just kind of on a roll, running personal bests, feeling good, confident, were the times when outside of running, I didn't really have a lot going on. <laughs> you exactly. know, I wasn't stressed. You know, it wasn't exam time in college. I didn't have a big project at work. You know, it was really, uh, it was pre-kids. <laughs> so I really didn't have too many outside stressors. And I, I think it really goes to show that to get the most out of your body, then you need to have almost a quiet mind and you need to be more relaxed because just the act of training really hard and racing hard, you know, that is so stressful by itself, not just physically, but also the mental component of things. And if we're just dealing mentally with so many other things in our life and, you know, we don't get a chance to sit down all day, we're just running around doing everything, you know, that is not the environment in which progress and all those beneficial physical adaptations occur. So, you know, it really just goes to show that I think the value of relaxation, which massage can help with, is is paramount to us reaching our potential. It's the whole 80-20 thing again. I mean, we know that most runners are probably giving about 50% effort in all of their runs. They're neither hitting that intensity 20% of the time where they're really going to stimulate the body to make a change. And they're also not relaxing down enough or having an easy enough session 80% of the time where they're allowing the aerobic capacity to increase, where they're, they're allowing the, the anabolic effects to happen. So being able to tap into that relaxation stage where you can have a run, where you're not pushing it, where your shoulders are down, where you're smelling the flowers and looking around, which we know depending on what you're training for, is such an important, has such a benefit when it comes to training. Um, I think, again, if you get in touch with massage, you're more likely to be able to get in touch with, I don't need to beat my PB this particular week because it doesn't, I don't need that. I need to pull back a little bit. I'm having a recovery week or something, a recovery session. So I think it all works together. And it's true what you say. I mean, sometimes we think the, the extremes of performance, which we manage when we're younger, we put it down to youth. We put it down to... Um, having stronger bodies and more testosterone but how do we know that it's not just because we just we're less bothered like you say about other stuff when we have a run we just put everything into it not worrying about targets or or kids or or, or anything like that or health of relatives you know um 
So I think that we can grab back that recovery, but it takes some lifestyle changes. Um, and, uh, and then that can be very tricky. But I think all of us have got a lot more potential if we focus on how well we're actually recovering, because that's like I say, where the benefits happen, not during the session. The session is all catabolic. The session is when you're stressing the body and you're inciting injury, you're increasing that risk. It's the recovery time where you actually make sure that that stress you put into your session is actually going to convert itself into strength and performance gains rather than just lead you down the road to injury. Yeah. And Matt, I want to touch on one phrase that you used earlier. You, you talked about manual therapy. Is manual therapy different from massage? And if it is, how so? It's an interesting question. And again, the link between massage and manual therapy is the goals traditionally have always been the same. The goals have always been to change a tissue's length so that your legs are now the same length or something, um, to change the range of a, a joint so that when we do our posture analysis, you're kind of symmetrical again. It's all, again, this structuralism where we're basing all of these treatments and manual therapy on this ideal that in order to be um, not in pain, um, you need to have equilibrium and balance on a physical level. And most traditionally, most manual therapy techniques, whether it's a manipulation of the back, I mean, they will traditionally chiropractors and osteopaths who are doing manipulations will the reason they're doing it is because they want to line your spine up again. They even say they want to straighten your spine, which again, excuse my cynicism, but who wants to have a straight spine? You wouldn't be able to walk with a straight spine. You need these natural kinks and curves. The spine's not straight. So I think the terminology is really important. And again, if you have a therapist who is basing all in their sessions on making your shoulders the same height or making your hips the same height or making your legs the same length, they need to evolve a little bit. They need to look at their um cpd we call it over here like the continued professional development because we know thanks to research that there's no association or correlation between being symmetrical and um, reducing risk of injury or reducing pain if you look at most people in the street and you have to look at runners even amongst the elites far from symmetrical there's plenty of elites out there who have got one hip higher than the other have got knees twisting in one arm going down one arm not and um, weird head bobs i mean we, there's lots and lots of examples of where Elites can succeed and uh, perform incredibly with asymmetry. And we've also got people, obviously, who are, who are totally symmetrical, who are, who are terrible at running, um, who are always in a lot of pain. So, like I say, the connection between massage and manual therapy is that they're trying to focus on um, balance, structure, putting things in, uh, symmetrically again. It's, it's not the way things work. Um, and if your therapist is... is basing your sessions and your hard-earned money on, on reaching that kind of symmetry, then you need to think, okay, so what else are they making decisions based on? How safe do I feel in this person's hands? Matt, let me tell you a story. And I want you to tell me what, what in the heck is going on here? Because it was 2008. I was in great shape. I was training really well, getting ready for a half marathon. But my Achilles had been bothering me quite a bit. And I was complaining about it to a friend of mine in the gym and behind me, a, uh, one of the trainers who I you know, think he might've been a massage therapist or a manual therapist, something like that. He kind of just interjected and said, Hey, I've seen you move and I know how to fix you. 
And I was just curious. I took him up on his offer. I spent 20 minutes with this guy and he was moving around my legs and, you know, kind of getting my hips back in alignment, quote unquote. And, you know, even though during the entire process, I I wasn't fully bought into what he was doing. The result was that my Achilles never hurt after that day again for, you know, years. What was going on? What did he do to me to all of a sudden fix my Achilles? I mean, this was something I was dealing with for weeks. And one 20-minute session, he manually moved my body around a little bit, cracked some things, you know, pulled my leg down. And it sounds like everything he was doing is what you're describing as ineffective. But I also just felt so great afterwards. And it was just this one acute instance where, you know, he kind of said, okay, you should probably feel pretty good now. And I did. What was going on? Yeah, it's a fantastic example. And the reason why a lot of structuralism still exists and is sold as courses, unfortunately, it is anecdotal evidence. It's the one time potentially that we know of where this guy actually put his hands on somebody and came out with a beneficial effect. Obviously, something he did um, worked. Well, I say obviously, if it was a 20 minutes and before it was hurting and after it wasn't and didn't come back for six or seven years or something, then that's a good result. That's amazing. That's a thing you can build careers on, become very, very famous. But if that was the case, if there was a blueprint, then we would not have anybody with Achilles problems anymore. You know, we wouldn't have an incidence of between 30 and 80 percent of runners every year getting injured or every three per whatever it is, a thousand hours of running. Unfortunately, if there was this blueprint, like I say, there wouldn't be injuries. So there's plenty of these examples of anecdotal evidence. And this is what holds a lot of therapists back, because when we see somebody coming into clinic, for example, and they've got some hip pain, and we notice that their pelvis is, for example, higher one side than the other, and the pain is on the same side that's higher, then we base our whole treatment on that. And it might be 20 minutes, it might be 20 sessions. And we do stuff and then the pain goes and we think, well, that's my system tried and tested. And this is what I'm going to do to every day I come in. But the problem is, what about we kind of we don't take note of the people who we try this on and they don't come back and it doesn't work. Who are plenty, which is why runners will move around from one therapist to another. And also we don't take account of the fact that maybe somebody comes in with a painful hit, but it's the side that's lower. And there's so many different variables which in order to believe that what we've just learned on a course or or what we've just done to somebody is the cause of success we have to forget all of the other stuff which hasn't worked and that's why it's so important to have evidence because if something you believe works if whatever he did was an established system and made sense and there's a lot of times where we connect something there's plenty of these anatomy trains where we say oh the problem in your ankles to do with your hip but if it was that simple that you could correct in 20 minutes there would be a study and it would be produced and the results would show that statistically, yes, this manipulation or this connection actually works for runners with a big sample size. And it's definitely something that needs to hasn't happened yet. It doesn't happen for as many times it works in a particular study. Um, it shows that it doesn't work in another study. And this can be applied to the whole problem with biomechanics. Normally, people who fix things and say they've seen how you move and there's something that I've spotted I want to try on you. Basically, they're saying that the body needs to move in a certain way to avoid pain and to work you know, functionally. But this is the problem. Biomechanics is full of very, very gray areas. As soon as we believe that, for example, the classic thing of um, 
a thigh of the femur kind of moving inwards, this internal rotation and, and adduction of the femur has been linked with maybe iliotibial pain or, or tib, um, ITB pain or tibial pain or something. A study may show this, and a study may show that um, if we do something which decreases this adduction and we move the leg to move forwards again, then the pain goes. We can celebrate it because it's a quality study, but a couple of months down the line, someone will show a bunch of people who've got knee pointing out and got those symptoms, or they've got people who've got a knee pointing in who haven't got any symptoms. So it's a very gray area, and we've got to be very, very careful of anecdotal stories because that doesn't help our industry move forwards or doesn't help educate us. And there's many people in your position who could probably um, have the same story as somebody who fixed them by looking at them. But human body doesn't work that way. You know, it's not just a case of there's a blueprint of how we all move without pain because there's too many um, exceptions to the rule. Right. And if you'll allow me to summarize, it kind of sounds like uh, the the data, the science, the studies are not really there showing that massage is going to you know, do all these crazy things for you. But there's some strong evidence that it really helps quiet the central nervous system and promote relaxation. And so if someone did have some amazing experience like I did with a therapist, it was probably more a fluke, perhaps. And we should really focus on what works, not try to focus on, you know, those outlier situations where, you know, you're hoping for some miracle treatment for whatever injury you're dealing with, because there really are none. And uh, as long as we're, you know, abiding by those best practices, and, you know, the current science, we're putting ourselves in the best position with massage. That's a very good summary. Yeah, you can compare it to a rain dance. If you go every day of the week and or every day of the month and do a little dance outside, one day it's probably going to rain. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that your dance caused it to start raining. <laughs> I like that. So, Matt, I'd love to end this discussion with perhaps being a bit more prescriptive for our listeners. How do you recommend runners integrate massage into their training? Is it something where they can do a little bit at home uh, and then can go get a professional massage if they're in heavy training? You know, what is the frequency or maybe a particular implement that you recommend? I mean, how, how should runners think about this from a really practical day-to-day perspective? I think if we, first of all, it's very much just to, to reiterate, it's very much depends on the individual. I mean, a lot of massage therapists will charge maybe, I don't know what the going rate in the States is, but it's probably more than a dollar a minute. So it's quite an expensive way of relaxing. So if you're able to relax, like you say, with a glass of wine and watching a Netflix or something, that's probably a cheaper, far cheaper way of relaxing. But if, like I say, if you're one of these people who requires that almost business appointment of relaxing and paying another person to force if you like your body just to calm the hell down then i would integrate it into your training the same as we always try and do for most runners is make your hard days hard and make your easy days easy um have that i mean it's a, it's a bit of a generalization but work towards that 2080 idea um so use massage to uh, help that recovery process based on like what i've been saying it's going to be very important that you choose a massage therapist who Unfortunately, it's a case of eliminating or looking out for things that they're saying which aren't evidence-based rather than saying things which are. If they do say any of the things we've talked about or that's the reason they're giving it to you, then honestly, I would say as a runner and a therapist, you need to don't try questioning them or let them find their own way um, if they do or when they do. 
Um, you need to find someone who is contradicting those things and saying, look, I'm not going to give you as much pressure as probably you're used to because, you know what, it's probably not going to help like I once thought it was going to. Find a massage therapist who used to, like myself, kind of enjoy inflicting pain on people and then learnt and read and evolved that's not the answer. Um, and find a massage therapist who potentially, unless you fall asleep, is using massage, using that hour maybe to chat to you about your training program, um, especially if they're running themselves or coach themselves, because that's the other benefit of massage. By making that bond with that other individual, it does open up the road to uh, open up the door to a whole load of communication, which could be benefit to you as a runner in terms of looking at your program, talking about whether you are overdoing it, are you getting enough sleep, your nutrition. Um, I think it was Greg Lehman probably who said at one of the conferences or one of the presentations, workshops he did down with me in Brighton, he said a lot of the best stuff done with massage is actually with your mouth. And I took a big sharp intake of breath, obviously, and then realized it was Greg Lehman. What he was actually <laughs> saying was it's true. One of the things as a therapist we can achieve with runners is once you've given someone permission to lay their hands on you and squeeze and move your body in these ways with your face down, you've created a relationship where they're going to be much more receptive and listen to you. So as a runner, find a therapist you trust, who's got a good reputation, who's evidence based. And if they are a runner, and don't forget, they're going to have a massive experience working with all sorts of different runners with all sorts of different stories. You may find the benefit is not just the massage you're receiving. It's the what's coming out of their mouth as well. Yeah, it almost reminds me of of the benefit of being on a track or cross country team. You know, you can talk about having a coach or having your workouts planned for you, but you know, a lot of the benefit is just being around other runners and having that communication opportunity. So I think anytime we can surround ourselves with other runners or athletes or even subject matter experts, you know, one of the reasons why I love this podcast is because I get to talk to so many different people and just become a better coach, become more more informed. And part of that is, you know, developing those relationships with different people. And if you find a great massage therapist, you know, that's, you know, that's an asset. That's, that's a, a potential friendship. It's a potential, uh, you know, boost to your training and your running. So I think that's just uh, a great opportunity and uh, a nice way to put yourself first and really optimize your training in a way that you know feels good and in a way that I think is kind of fun because for me I've always enjoyed massage. I, I think just after this conversation I'm going to look into maybe getting a regular <laughs> massage because I'm I'm one of those type A, you know, overthinkers that's constantly thinking about everything and I'm very much like you in that regard, Matt. Um Matt, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I've learned so much more about massage than I knew previously, and that is going to positively impact my training, my running, and the training of all of our listeners and my clients. So thank you so much. Um, did we miss anything? Is there anything that I didn't cover about massage, some big sticking point or you know, new development or mistake or myth that we didn't cover? Not really. It's just to reiterate again, because in my experience, a lot of, like I say, it can really cause a confrontation when you hear some of the things I've said. If you're a runner and you're with a therapist who is talking about some of the things which I've said are not evidence based, then it doesn't necessarily mean run away from that therapist. Um, maybe you could help them in their career. They're going to still doing to you. They still can, can do what they're doing to you in the same way. And you can have that fantastic relationship still. It's just about maybe helping each other and not 
maybe putting too much time or allowing too much pain. Um, I know through experience that a lot of runners will not like what I'm saying. A lot of therapists will not like what I'm saying. We have to be careful when we kind of, I don't even like calling them myths anymore because that gives it like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. You're doing something like that fairies taught us. It's not at all. It's just evolving. It's keeping up to date with modern evidence. Um, so, yeah, I just want to reiterate that basically, um, both for runners and therapists. So, yeah, don't hate me for what I'm saying. Just, <laughs> just mill it around your head for a while. I mean, it's all online as well. Um, there's plenty. I mean, my my podcast is all about that one chat live. So if you don't like listening from me, then I was with Alice Sanvito, who's a fantastic massage therapist who looks after a lot of runners, elite runners. And we were talking about the same thing on, on the last episode. Listen to other guests that I've had on there because we're all kind of talking from the same page and also obviously we've coincided with a lot of guests on on strength running as well podcast so once you get into that new gang of people saying the same thing it can often be a lot less aggressive and threatening whether you're a runner or a therapist yeah thank you so much and uh, i just think it's interesting you're right i think we should probably move away from the term myth because really what we're talking about is science which is constantly evolving and being updated we're learning new things and, you know, science is, is an ongoing process, you know, that, and that's, I think, how it should be viewed as an ongoing process. And if we learn new things and then integrate those new nuggets of knowledge into our, our coaching practices and, and our training, then, you know, that's not necessarily abandoning myths. It's just staying current with the latest science. So I think that's an important distinction. Thanks for that, Matt. Um, now, I, I want to mention briefly before we sign off for the day, uh, you have an online conference that's coming up very soon. Can you talk more about that? Because, um, you know, this is the kind of evidence-based knowledge that I love to promote. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I mean, I, I was listening to you talking about how wonderful um, our hobby is of speaking to experts because we learn ourselves. And every time I talk to um, my guests, I'm just like illuminating and enjoying it. And I have to remember that there's other people listening. But um, yeah, based on my guests, often it is my guests who then become speakers once a year um, at a conference. Normally it's a physical conference and online and I fly them all over to England, which is where obviously I'm from. You can tell probably by my accent. This year, because of the pandemic, unfortunately, I can't do that. Um, so it's going to be 100% online. But yeah, it's on the 29th and 30th of October. Um, it's Run Chat Live. Um, and if I've taken, it's the second year I've done it. Um, I've taken 10 speakers um, from the world of running injury um, and performance. And uh, they're going to join us over two days to provide uh, 10 presentations on subjects varying from uh uh, running post-pregnancy, um, orthotics and shoes, which is always popular. Um, there's going to be people like Ben Cormack talking about um, movement and pain. Uh, there's going to be people talking Matt Fitzgerald. Yeah, I'm so annoyed that Matt Fitzgerald is no longer coming to Brighton. I wanted to shake that man's hand for many a time, as yours. But um, yeah, so Matt Fitzgerald is going to be joining us online, uh, talking about um, his recent book, Running the Dream, where he shows that Often we shy away from training like elites, but in actual fact, regardless of your level, if you want to achieve your goals, maybe you do have to tra train a little bit more like an elite. Um, we've got um, other people that you might know. Kevin Maggs, who's a fantastic chiropractor, who's the head of the USA division for the running clinic. He'll be talking about load and endurance, 
Tom Goom, who's well known internationally now, he's been talking about um, how being a runner and embracing the research is also an art as well. You can't just be evidence based. You have to look at other things as well. Um, so, yeah, a whole bunch of people. I'm very excited this year because also it's going to be um, with simultaneous translations into Spanish. I'll be doing a few work with um, South American colleagues because I speak Spanish myself. So I felt a little bit bad that even though Spanish is spoken around the world more than English, a lot of these conferences are still entirely in English and um, Spanish speaking people just have to put up with it. So I decided um, I forked out for Spanish translators can be translating all 10 presentations and both question times um, simultaneous in Spanish. I'm quite excited about that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be live with uh, loads of surprise guests. So I'm gonna, even going to be there during the lunchtime as well for people to join us. There'll be surprise visits from other um, big names from around the world. And it's going to be yes, yeah, going to be a crack. It's going to be great. Tickets are live now. There is a limit because it's going out live means bandwidth wise. I can only have up to a certain amount of people. Um, so um, if you are interested, then it's uh, the address is quite simple. It's just RCL2020 dot eventbrite.co.uk all the information is on there about that and i've also because i'm such a fan of strength running.com i've already taken the liberty of creating a promo code for anybody who does hear this podcast and is interested in getting a discount on the tickets and that is quite simply strength running 20 if you enter that on the ticket page in the promo box so strength running all one word 20 the number then that will get you 20% off either the English ticket or the Spanish ticket with simultaneous translation. Awesome. I didn't know you were going to do that. So thank you so much for that. And, you know, my listeners know that I'm always saying that uh, knowledge is a competitive advantage. So the more you know, the better you're going to be able to structure your training and all of your injury prevention recovery efforts. So this is a great opportunity to learn more about so many different aspects about the sport. So if you can, I definitely recommend attending. This sounds like a great opportunity. Matt, thanks so much for being here, sharing your expertise. It's always a pleasure to hear your amazing accent. I know a fanboy <laughs> over that in the past. You're welcome back anytime. No, real pleasure. I'm a, I've been a huge fan of strength running for years and years and years. Um, you're definitely one of the shoulders I've stood on numerous times as well. Uh, when it comes to talking about strength training for runners. So no, always a pleasure to come and speak to your listeners. And yeah, thanks. Wow, what an episode. I hope you learned as much as I did during this conversation. I know that I'm encouraged when a subject matter expert like Matt admits that he doesn't know everything, that he has changed his views over time, and that there's still a lot that we don't know. That level of honesty is in our best interests as athletes. Do make sure you go to runchatlive.com to learn more about their virtual conference coming on October 29th and 30th. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Elemental Labs, for their support of this episode. They make electrolyte drinks for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, or colors. I've been having one of these a day for the last two months or so, and it's a great way for me to ensure that I'm drinking more water, especially here in Colorado where it's pretty dry. It's pretty tasty, it's delicious, and I can't wait to try their new Fiesta Pack that includes flavors like mango chili, lemon habanero, and chocolate salt. Rumor has it that they work great for cocktails, though I wouldn't know anything about that personally. Anyway, there's now mounting evidence that higher sodium intake levels than what's recommended by the FDA are actually not harmful, especially if you're an athlete who sweats a lot 
or has salty sweat. Now, of course, ask your doctor if you're worried, but for those athletes running outside in the heat, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I am encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and other pro athletes have started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. You can learn more about what they do and all of their great salt flavors at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. Okay, everyone, that's it for our show today. Thanks for all you do, and we'll be in touch soon. 